Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. All right, Frederico, what is happening this week? This week we're chatting with Andrew from Blender Guru. If you only listen to split testing, like A-B split testing, like test this sales page, test it against this. If you only follow that, everyone would end up selling porn. (laughs) (laughs) He gives us some excellent YouTube tips, but also talks to us about how smart YouTubers make money on the platform or around the platform. Frederico, before we get started, we've been working really hard in the background on our own online course called Changer College. The online college just for content creators. Check it out at changercollege.com. That's C-H-A-N-G-E-R college.com. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Well, Fred stuffed up the first part of the recording, so let's try this again. Um, Today, Creator Generation, we are joined by the guru, the blender guru, Andrew Price. Hello for a second time. No. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm so sorry. I, we're, I, we're throwing Fred <laughs> under the bus here because he, uh, we got five minutes into the conversation <laughs> and he went, hang on a second, I haven't pushed record yet. <laughs> uh, it was really good too. We were having a, it was like, you know, we can't repeat it. Like you just had to be there, but you know, Andrew, Fred and I had some cracking conversation it was probably the best it was actually it was probably the best time we ever had to a podcast I'm like, oh, it was, it was oh, beautiful no. you just had oh, to be there it was almost poetic oh, anyway andrew you are our first guru and maybe our only guru we'll ever have on the show so you're a guru of blenders right yes the uh the blender guru which whenever somebody asks me that at a party they go, oh, blended guru. So what do you do? You make like smoothies? And I'm like, no, it's that's cooler than what I do. I do uh, 3D software. So the software is called Blender. And uh, I was uh, cocky enough back in the day to call myself the guru of the software. So, uh, And that was the channel name that stuck. So Blender Guru. So you were saying at parties, so when people ask you at, like at parties, what do you do? Do you say I'm... I am the blender guru and to just let's see what happens. Or do you actually just say, I don't know, I'm on YouTube. What, what do you say? What do you say to people when people ask you, what do you do? Depends if you want the conversation to keep going, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, like, I mean, usually almost nobody knows what the software is or, you know, <laughs> so if I know the next follow-up question, so I usually just say, yeah, I run a channel called blender guru, which is like, 3d animation tutorials so if you've ever seen like a pixar movie the animation i do tutorials that show you how to make that kind of stuff using some free software called blender and they go ah there you go (laughs) you want the conversation to stop right there you just say i'm an accountant and (laughs) yeah yeah that's right (laughs) yeah it's like you ever have those conversations like you you be on a plane or something and you're just not in the mood and then like somebody will just ask you a question and you don't want the conversation to go anywhere. So, so you just, you come up with like the shortest response that won't lead to anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. if you say you're a YouTuber, it's like, Oh, tell me more, you know, but uh, you know, I, I try to be friendly, but, but there's also times when you just <laughs> like most of us, not in the mood for chit chat. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm an Uber driver. Like, you know, that doesn't need yeah, to exactly. Yeah, Although that would open up a lot of questions. Like, oh, have people done really amazing, weird stuff in your Uber? <laughs> Just say yeah. you're a telemarketer. That's, that's yeah. how you end it. That's a good yeah. one. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I'm a telemarketer. I'm a telemarketer. Okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, <laughs> We've gone somewhere else, but that's cool. So being the guru of the Blender software, like you said you started doing this a long time ago. What made you start? Like, were you... Yeah. So I started 15 years ago when I was in high school. Um, and like most teenage boys, I was really into video games. And uh, I remember I was like looking at the game Need for Speed, where like the car is like on a turntable and it's slowly rotating. And I just like, I, I loved it. Like the 3D shape of this thing. And, I, and obviously I couldn't afford any car, much less a sports car. But I thought like if I could create that in some 3d software which i'd never tried before it would almost feel in a way like part ownership like i could be proud of that thing and uh i tried a bunch i think like two or three different 3d softwares which are probably dead now um but then i came across uh, an image which was hosted on blender.org and it was a red sports car and uh 
yeah, found it, saw that it was free. I thought, check, that's one box that I like and uh, downloaded it and then hit a, a brick wall immediately because it's so hard to use, especially back then. It's gotten way, way easier since, but uh, there's, and I basically had to teach myself just from tutorials, like text tutorials that people had written back then. And uh, yeah, I, that was kind of my motivation. Like I thought if, if somebody else could teach themselves to make that red car, then so could I. And that was like the mission. And it took like four years after that <laughs> to uh, before I could actually make my own red sports car. But that was the, uh, yeah, what motivated me. Oh. And you've been in love ever since with Blender? I mean, love, hate, you know, <laughs> it's like any software you use on a day-to-day basis. There's things you like, there's things you don't. But uh, Blender actually just released like a massive update to their software uh, called Blender 2.8. I don't know why they went. That was like the big release. They should have just called it version three maybe. But anyways, um, and it's it's way, way better. It's like everything that was crappy about the old version they they fixed so actually there's been a huge uptick in people trying to learn blender since then and actually since the coronavirus everyone's being self-quarantining from home i've also seen like 60 percent more viewers of people learning the beginner series to blender so right. yeah okay. yeah, yeah. Actually, I, speak, I, speak, speak, I was going to bring that up yeah. because you know like there's virtually the world is uh locked down or, or self-isolating at of of some level some more extreme than others but there's a lot more time and um there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and people want to learn new skills and as well mm. as consume content and you're kind of in that that sphere of both in, both you know youtube and people watching your content but also you teach people skills around uh stuff that they can do on their computer and online um mm-hmm. so yeah i was really curious to see how how what you were seeing in the last three to four weeks since at least here in Australia, we've been uh, for about a month or maybe five weeks. We've been in this lockdown world. What, what's been happening on your channel? And obviously, you said what sixty percent increase in people. But anything else you've sort of noticed in that in that space? Yeah, um, I, I guess it's like that. There's probably two camps of people when you hear that there's going to be self quarantining for maybe three weeks, maybe three months, maybe a year. Is <laughs> some people think like I'll just lounge around, wait this out you know, maybe get the Disney plus subscription as well as my Netflix subscription. Um, and then others that, that think this is a chance to learn a new skill. So I'm sure there are people learning coding. There are people uh, like myself that actually are learning like uh, drawing, uh, which is sort of like a side hobby of mine. I want to get good at drawing people. Um, so there's, I'm sure people doing that. And then 3d, you know, uh, a lot of industries are moving to 3d uh, photographers are finding that their work that was previously photographing furniture or products, um, architects that used to do drawings, all that kind of thing is now being done uh, with 3D software. So a lot of people have known about 3D software, slowly encroaching on their career for a long time. And uh, I think a lot of people are making the switch. They're going like, all right, I got three months at home. Let's Let's try and learn it. So um, it's actually been really, really interesting. Like just on Instagram, just seeing like some like master 2d artists that do like oil paintings and, uh, and they're learning blender through this donut tutorial that I made and became like a little viral hit in the blender community. Can we just uh, actually it's really cool. talk about that? Because the, the donut is what like a lot of people came to know you by, right? Like you were the donut guy. I reckon. Yeah, yeah so I should than, explain the donut, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's almost more known as Donut Guy than Blender Guru. I reckon, aren't you? Like, I know that it, that's actually true. So half the people go, "Oh, you're the Donut Guy," <laughs> which just to make things even more confusing to anyone listening in on the conversation, I'm the Blender Guru who doesn't do any blending, and I'm also the Donut Guy who doesn't um, make donuts. <laughs> None of which has anything to do with food. Um, it's it's all 3D. So basically, um, yeah, like three years ago, I I decided I'm finally going to do a beginner series for Blender because before that I was just doing like advanced tutorials for like professionals and people that have been with it for a while. Uh, but I thought, all right, fine, I'll do a beginner series. And I had like a couple of ideas on like how I could teach it. Like I could make, because I wanted to make something simple that you could actually learn the software with 
uh, but it wasn't too complex that you would get lost. And I'm like, I could make a snowman, quite simple shapes. I could do this. And I presented like four ideas to my wife and she pointed to the donut and she goes, that one, I want to make the donut. (laughs) I was like, all right. So the donut it is and uh, made this series. I was really rushed. It was like, it had to be, it it ended up being 10 parts, each one being about 20 minutes long um, three years ago. And it was like right before I went to the Blender conference that year in Amsterdam. So I was like rushed trying to get it done before the date. And uh, I even had a cold for like the last three recordings. So it was like not even a good, you know, a good voiceover. And, uh, and it became by far the biggest thing I've ever done or have been known for. And so since then, I've actually remade it for the new uh, Blender 2.8 version that came out because they changed a lot of keyboard shortcuts and everything. So I completely redid it. And uh, yeah, it's consistently ranked at like the top of YouTube and Google for if you type in Blender tutorial or Blender beginner something, uh, you'll you'll basically see it at the top there. And uh, so that's why I'm known as both Blender Guru and the Donut Guy. <laughs> and, and to paint a picture of that, that donut, it, it's an impressive pink glazed donut. Like the kind of, in my mind, it's like the quintessential Homer J. Simpson donut. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like this big, pink, beautiful. I think it's got um, sprinkles on top from memory. Yeah. Um, Icing sprinkles. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So like it is this iconic, jumped out in your face, tasty looking donut that you create in a 3D software and that, that to teach other people. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It just yeah. sticks in your mind. It's just the donut and um, props to your wife for picking that one too. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it became something. Do you think? If I it mean, it's like a common a... thing you hear from YouTubers, right? Like their top video. You go like, "Wow, did you expect that?" And it's no, <laughs> never. It's never the one you expect to be the popular one. It's always the little one that you put a little amount of effort into. And then the one that you spend weeks on and months on, it's like one of the lowest performing. (laughs) Did you learn, like then, you know, that was the first sort of beginner content that you'd made, beginner tutorial content. Did you then shift or um, change perception of what you were going to do from then on? Yeah, I I guess I saw it more as uh, I saw my channel, like the potential of the channel maybe as being, you know, not this niche thing that, you know, a lot of nerds know about and people within the Blender community know about because it's like advanced tutorials on doing complex things, but more as a, like a funnel, you know, the sales funnel that at the top of the funnel, it's the widest And that's where people find you and that's where they come into it. So before that, I didn't really have a funnel. I didn't have thing people knew me from. Um, But that's where I sort of realized like, yeah, it, it could be the, the stepping stone that people make to their first steps in 3d software. And that's where I started to focus on. uh, Yeah. Basically like the beginner experience and how to, how to help people transition from complete beginner to making their own project and doing something or even getting a job uh, at a studio or becoming a freelancer. Frederica? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously this has uh, become a career for you. Did you ever think that this is where you'd end up in terms of what you were doing? No. In fact, actually at the moment I'm working on a uh, photorealism series uh, for people like, yeah, who want to create something that's indistinguishable from a photograph. And it's all to do with like the science of light and materials and physics. I'm actually on Twitter now going back and forth with a a physics person to explain how different materials receive light and it's getting into electrons and like electromagnetic waves and like all this technical stuff, which is hilarious because in school, I hated it. I (laughs) absolutely hated this stuff because it didn't have any value. There was nothing that I could see myself doing with that information. And so like, and I, I, I was like failed several subjects at school just from just hating it. And there was no point, but it's only now that like, I can see that learning this technical science stuff. Um, yeah. will enable me to create better artworks with it. Uh, so yeah, no, I never would have thought I would be one day teaching light and physics and how materials react to light uh, 
yeah, like even knowing about it was would just be a weird thing for me to think about back then. But uh, yeah, no, never would have, never would have guessed. Actually, speaking of light and physics, do you like watch like Toy Story and like Frozen and go like just focus only on the way the characters look and the light physics around it and that kind of thing, or do you actually watch these stories? Like, how amazing is it for you to see these? These, uh, yeah, it's definitely hard to separate the two. Like, I just finished watching uh, Onward, oh, right, the yeah. new Pixar movie that just yeah. came out. I guess because of COVID nineteen, they had to close all the cinemas, so mm-hmm. all these movies that had cinema releases were now just going direct to iTunes or whatever. Uh, but yeah, just watch that phenomenal movie, right. and uh, it's also one of the most photorealistic of the Pixar movies. So there's like several scenes where there's like you know, like light reflecting off the puddles on the road and like these little tiny pebbles. And I'm thinking like, oh, was that photo scanned? Did they, you know, (laughs) did they use this light? Did they use real fog or was it fake fog? And like, I have to, it's kind of like a flip back and forth. And then you get like engrossed in the story and then you get pulled out thinking about technical stuff. Uh, But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those fun things. I'm sure any crane operator, maybe whenever they watch a movie with a crane in it, they just completely lose the plot for <laughs> until it switches back. So yeah, uh, I mean, we have that issue. I, mean, I, I know I have that issue with like continuity things being in like in film and TV. It's like when I when I'm watching a movie, I'll like stop it, and I'll rewind it, and I'll pause. And I'll, Look, did you see that? That thing moved in the background. And my wife's like, can you just let just just watch the movie? Oh, I'm you like, must be the worst to I watch know. with. It's oh, really that's bad. Terrible. Yeah, especially those, especially those throwaway <laughs> comedies. They don't spend much time thinking about that. They just like they film anything and just watching it. And I'm just in the, I'm just watching it, thinking, "Oh my god, this is the worst." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh gosh. But hey, um, if you like, you said like obviously you didn't think this is where you'd end up in terms of being a, someone who's going to teach this. But have you just fallen in into it and just you just really love what you're doing? Do you really enjoy the teaching process? I do now. Yeah, like you know. The idea, in fact, I didn't even start the channel um, making these tutorials because I liked teaching. I started it because I wanted to become a freelancer. Mm. And when you're, you know, a new artist and you have no following whatsoever, I thought, what's one thing that I consume? Blender tutorials. So I started making Blender tutorials thinking that somebody saw that tutorial, they might hire me to do a job, which actually turned out to be the case. I got a job. Uh, from a Sydney-based studio doing a Bridgestone tire commercial. So I helped them with like some smoke or something. I got that gig after like an, a year of doing my channel. Um, and then I immediately realized that this sucks. Like <laughs> this idea of freelancing, it's really boring. Because when you, the whole, you know, you, while you're learning the software, you're doing the thing that you want to do. You're not forced to learn rigging if you don't want to learn rigging. But when you're, you know, when a client asks you to make this thing, they're telling you exactly what to do. Push this button, maybe not that specific, but you don't have a freedom in what you want to do. And I I just really didn't like the experience at all. Um, And coincidentally, that happened to be right before I went to my first ever Blender conference, which is in Amsterdam every year. And uh, at the conference, the founder said in one of his presentations that there is a huge need for educational materials right now. A lot of people want to learn Blender. No one's making tutorials. And I thought, well, cool. I'll just keep doing this then. Um, And uh, since then, yeah, it's like knowing all this stuff, I've realized that if you have to teach something, it forces you to learn exactly how every single component works. Mm before you can actually tell others how to do it, which is a very rare, I've learned a very rare uh, experience that most people have, right? Like I talked to artists, uh, I was in LA LA, uh, a year ago um, from like these top studios and this and that. And I was kind of surprised that when it came to technical things, um, a lot of them didn't actually know like, you know, how like rendering software works or how this works or the specifics of this. Um, because they don't need to for their job they're you know, it's design focused or it's this focused or that focused. It's very rare. You need to go deep into something to fully know it enough to explain it to others. Um, but it, it gives you an advantage knowing the inner workings because you learn each component, what each component does to a degree that, uh, that you're not guessing, right? Like a lot of, uh, like even with drawing, like I'm learning to draw faces and humans right now. 
And like, if you don't know which skill to work on, you end up just making a mess. Every single drawing, you just make a mess and you don't know why it looks terrible at the end. It just looks terrible. And it's only until you start breaking down each skill specifically to find out that like, like I'm just going to focus on proportions, just where my pencil moves, getting it to line up exactly with the, the photo reference. And if you just focus on that, you realize problems and mistakes that you're making so that you can fix it. If you don't, you just, you'll never know what to work on next and things just fail forever. And then you might even give up because you just feel like you're not getting anywhere. So anyways, it's a long answer just to say that, uh, yeah, I do enjoy it. I, I enjoy <laughs> learning the inner workings because it, it uh, gives you a unique perspective. You were talking about the uh, the Blender conference. Have you, that was the first time you went, you've, you've, you've gone subsequently more and more times, I presume, as time goes on yeah i think i've been to like five and now over the years five, yeah and obviously i guess obviously as you became better known in the blender community did people start recognizing you at the conference as the you know the blender guy the donut guy how, how did that <laughs> how did that progress for you yeah definitely uh it's kind of like one of the only places in the world i could go to be recognized you know <laughs> it's like you hear of like some other people that have a, a youtube channel which is more general or it's comedy or entertainment based and they're getting stopped on the street, like left, right and center. Um, in fact, one girl, uh, from Brisbane who just moved to Korea. Um, and she has a channel that teaches like Korean, uh, what would you call it? Yeah. Like just, I don't know. It's, it's Korean culture focused, Korean food. Mm. And she's got a, it, it's a much smaller channel, but she said she gets stopped on the street every day because people know her in Korea as that person. But, uh, but yeah, Blender Conference, it's like the only place I walk in the door and you're seen as a celebrity. And then I step outside the door and I'm just another guy on the street. So <laughs> it's definitely a unique experience, that's for sure. And have you, met the, have you met the guy who like uh, invented Blender? Oh, yeah, yeah, Tom Rusendahl, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's at the conference every year and, yeah, I know him quite well, yeah. yeah. One, one thing to go back on, on that um, famous in the blend, Blender world uh, – pieces that your channel isn't isn't small by any any sense of the word you know talking about it being niche and you know quite specific but your channel is quite big though yeah it's it's blown up quite a lot so it's 1.1 million subscribers or something um to the point that actually i have been recognized twice outside of the blender (laughs) conference in the last couple of months once was in woolworths the second one was also in Woolworths. Okay. Well, two people at Woolworths Same person. just walking around and sometimes like staring at me, like up and down the aisles. I'm like, I don't know this guy. And he's just like, kind of like following me. And he's like, are you the blinded guy? I'm like, ah, ah. <laughs> this separate world that I live in has collided with my personal world. This is weird. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is, um, it's, it's, it's great, like um, and funny, like being so heavily involved in a community and so entrenched um, in this community. But then you leave that community, and it's just like complete anonymity, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And I've heard, I don't know. I was listening to uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast, which is another great podcast. Um, you should guys should check out. But yeah, he said that oh, um, Tim's a massive fan of Creative Generation, a huge fan. Yeah. He sends oh, his he fan mail all the time. <laughs> I daily get an email from Tim saying, "You know, guys, appear on my podcast. Can I appear?" I'm like, Tim, just, just you're just not the right fit for us. Just stop. Just back back off, just, man. Back on, off. We'll call you. Don't have time yeah. to explain how we do what we do to you, Tim. It's, <laughs> it's, like, it's just, it would blow his brain. It's just next level. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a big fan. You know, love you, Tim. Sorry, we love um, we love all our fans equally, though. Yeah. So, so Tim Tim was saying in uh, I don't know, basically, like he knows so many different performers and athletes, and a lot of them have said that yeah, it is better to be well known in one specific area than world famous because, uh, and I think it was Bill Murray who said uh, it. If you had the option between, oh yeah, if you think you want to be rich and famous. Uh, try just being rich because there's almost nothing that fame adds to it. And yet there are a hundred things it takes away from yeah. it. Being famous makes your life terrible. Being rich will open almost every door you would ever want and need, but you, your life is uninterrupted otherwise. So it is far better to be, uh, to be just rich. So, uh, 
yeah, that, that's reassuring, you know, when you you think like, oh, man, I'm just this niche guy, this nerdy guy, and all these other people are, you know, getting all these free handouts. Like my sister, she's got a channel that's uh, like, I don't know, one-tenth of the size maybe, but she gets so much free stuff, just gets flown around the world. She's like a vlogger. Uh, you can look her up, by the way. Currently, Hannah is her YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, no, vloggers, vloggers get the free stuff. The the nerdy guy that has the uh, 3D animation channel gets nothing. <laughs> um, so obviously with with Blender being or Blend being the Blender guru being your full time career, um, well, can you just tell us how you've sort of grown? Obviously, you know, you've grown this channel, uh, but it's also you've grown quite a big business around it. Can you talk to us about from the genesis of where that started? From like, oh, I have to earn money here, and how did you do that? Mm. To like, what it is right now? Yeah. So my my uh, approach to or the, my journey into YouTube is different to most because nowadays most people start a channel with the expectation that once they hit a certain size, they'll have enough advertising revenue to make it a full-time job, right? Uh, but when I started in 2008, uh, for one, YouTube couldn't hold my videos because my videos were over 10 minutes long, mm. which is crazy. But back then it was a hard limit at 10 minutes. So I just didn't use YouTube. I was hosting mine on Vimeo. Um, And so I wasn't making any money every time I uploaded a video. In fact, I was paying Vimeo because I had to have a pro Vimeo account to upload HD. It was different times, right? Uh, So from the get-go, I knew that I had to sell something, sell my own product uh, in order to make money from it. So coincidentally, I went to a course at the same time that my dad uh, gave me as a Christmas present. It was sort of like a product marketing online business kind of course um, in Sydney. So I went there and I learned all about how easy it is to actually make something and sell it to an audience on the internet, which was a crazy concept at the time. So that kind of opened my eyes to, yeah, how to earn money. So I made a, my first ever product was an ebook. It was called The Wow Factor. And it taught people like how to do like special effects in Blender like a, a a lens flare or a chromatic aberration or something like that. It was $47 for this book, which is not cheap, even by today's standards. Um, and uh, I released it and it was a huge success. There was a lot of buildup to it. I had like two weeks worth of like hype, which is what I learned at the course, like how to hype up a product that's going to come out so that by the time you actually launch it, you just get this huge flood of sales. Um, and that was kind of like my first intro to selling stuff online. It enabled me to immediately quit my job at the time, which was a debt collector, believe it or not. Ooh. I used to collect debt for Toyota. Yeah. Really? Just calling people up and going, hey, pay your bill. That was my job. It's <laughs> not funny. I'm just trying to imagine that. I'm just trying to, it's like, I know. It's total different it's like world. You, you like uh, your car, man? You like your car? You want to keep your car, man? You give me your exactly. Money. Want that thing? Pay the money. They're looking for the money. Pay the money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was me. So, uh, so I quit my job and then it was like, what is my next product going to be? So then I made a, a course, like a video series course, which was really advanced at the time, hosted on this Kajabi website. Mm. Then I made a second course called it the Architecture Academy, teaching you architecture. And then it was only oh, maybe 2012 that I realized that YouTube was really taking off. And not only had they reduced their 10-minute upload limit, but it was now basically the place to go for videos. And Vimeo was far, far into the wayside. So I switched to YouTube then. And I turned on adverts just because, I think. Um, I probably didn't even have them on for the first year, but I just turned them on to see what would happen. And I think it you know, it wasn't a lot. It was making like a 1000 bucks a month or something, um, which is better than nothing, but not enough to live off of. So my products were always like the source of revenue. Um, I didn't have a full-time day job, obviously. This was my full-time job. So I had to make enough money to to from these products. Um, and I also realized that the, the way that you sell these products is you talk about them, you do a trailer, you talk about them in your videos that you upload to YouTube, and you get this surge when the product comes out. And then it just tapers out and you'll have like a few sales regularly every week or something after that. But that big spike, I had to make that last for the next year maybe before I released another product. And it was very hard to manage 
that sort of revenue flow. Um, and so that was what actually inspired me to create a, a whole business, a whole different website uh, called Polygon. So P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N, uh, which is one of those startup names you have to give it because every other domain name is taken. Uh, so it's I, a I misspelling of... If it was a startup name, you'd have to remove all the uh, vowels. So it'd be, yeah, it'd yeah, be like plug-in. Plug-in. P-L-G-N. Plug-in. Plug-in. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. now they're now it's all about removing the vowels. Yes, that's, that's exactly. The, or, or misspelling of it. Yeah. So anyway, so this, this website was, uh, a, it's a subscription service. Um, and instead of it being like a course on how to do something, it gave people textures. So in 3D software, you need a lot of textures like wood, brick and all that things to apply it to models. And it was actually like a big annoyance of mine at the time was that the only existing product out there I thought was really terrible. Everyone had to use this terrible website and I thought you could make something better. So I started Polygon uh, from that. It took far longer to build and way much more expensive. I think I spent like 120000 just building the website because it had to have like a membership built into it with user accounts. You had to be able to download different types of files, find them easily. It was a huge learning experience just getting that off the ground. Um, but yeah, now it, that's, it's been about four years since I launched that and it's still... By far, obviously, the biggest revenue generator for for myself and for, I guess, the company, which would be YouTube and Polygon together. So, like, I think YouTube probably pays because I know people like to know the the revenue amounts. I think it probably pays like two to four thousand a month. Uh, yeah, just today. That's probably what they what they pay. Um, and by the way, if people are wondering, like, what does a typical YouTuber make? You know, how people ask that question. Mm-hmm. Like, how, what does a typical YouTuber make? And it's like. You can't give a straight answer because like there are people with channels that are like a fraction of my size, but they upload 10 times as many videos or they hit a certain market that mine doesn't. Uh, and, and so it, they could be earning 10 times what I do per month with a fraction of the. So it's like, anyway, the whole ad revenue thing, it's, it's hard for, to understand how it all works. But anyways, so two to 4,000 on YouTube and then Polygon would earn a lot more. I don't want to give the exact amount, but at least, eh, at least fifty times more <laughs> per month, right? Like it's 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 completely like I don't really consider the YouTube thing as really almost a source of revenue. Selling your own product um, by far, you know, is 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 a much bigger earner. Yeah, and um, do you obviously you. Have- people working with you or working for you or collaborations? How does that, how does that work? Oh yeah. I should, I should explain also that's not my revenue. So people would think like I'm a millionaire. No. So (laughs) Polygon actually hires 20 people uh, around the world. So they're all freelance contractors that work and they create, they go out and photograph the textures. They create 3d models that we put on the website, uh, web developers, you know, that's 24,000 a month just to keep the website running, believe it or not. It's like these things, they, it, it costs a lot to to uh, to do this sort of business, but it's always growing, which is good. So we're always like, you know, we hire more people. So essentially, whenever we're making a profit, we're just putting it back into the business to grow it bigger and bigger. Um, and yeah, that's basically and, the way I run it. Polygon, that that's that's bigger than Blender, right? You're talking, so, you know, assets for three D. Regardless of the the, the product? That exactly, yeah. 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 So that was actually also the other reason I started Polygon was at the time I could see that other 3D packages like 3D's Max or Maya were had far more users. And also, importantly, um, far more users that actually had money. <laughs> like <laughs> Blender actually probably has about 10 times as many users as the next 3D software. But... Of course, the biggest reason for that is that it is free. So 12-year-old kids have it, uh, 9-year-old kids have it installed and they muck around with it, and a whole bunch of people have it installed but don't know what to do with it, right? Like, <laughs> Whereas a software like 3D's Max that costs $3,000 a year for a license, obviously you typically have a job with that, that software. So I started Polygon partly for the reasons I mentioned, but also because it would it wouldn't put all my eggs into the blender basket uh, basket. It would uh, open it to the whole industry. So the textures can be used in any package regardless. 
And uh, yeah, it's given me peace of mind when I go to sleep at night that like, <laughs> what if Blender was to fail? What would I do? Um, yeah, don't have that fear anymore. Nice. Hey, I mean, you, you make very, um, very interesting videos, I guess. And I guess you integrate your own ads into, into those videos um, as opposed to getting sponsorship if you have your own company. Yeah, so it's a kind of a unique sponsorship thing that I do because like when most YouTubers go, and this video is sponsored by Squarespace, you know, they're getting paid 2000 5000 whatever deal they've got to sponsor, you know, to do this one 15-second plug, right? Um, but in my case, either I promote it natively, like in a tutorial, I'll use an asset from Polygon. Uh, that's usually the best. Uh, or if I'm not using it for that tutorial, but I still want to promote it, I might do a 15 second plug. So I might say this video is sponsored by my own company, Polygon, which is kind of awkward. Um, in fact, I even saw like somebody made a meme where it's like, uh, sponsored by Polygon and I'm giving myself a medal (laughs) (laughs) and I've got this big grin on my face, uh, which is kind of true. Yeah. Um, but does it work? There's no transfer of money being made but but does it work like when you when you mention your own company do you see a spike yeah basically um i mean it's hard to correlate the spikes in sales from a video we actually want to get that's something we're working on is like better tracking of uh yeah click like where do people find polygon from um but it's basically we haven't had to i mean until like the last few months we started actually doing facebook and google ads to experiment um, but we've since turned it off. But basically all the sales through Polygon have come natively from YouTube. So enough wow. people watch or discover a video of mine where I say, hey, check out Polygon, um, that, yeah, it's basically it's the entire ad campaign for Polygon, um, which is nice because you don't have to pay for ads, but you do have to use up your time to make the videos. But uh, But, yeah. Hey, so That's powerful! Wow. Yeah, I look. I mean, you're you're obviously a very experienced video creator now. Um, but like you said, when you first started, it was you know a little bit rough. Can you just tell us about like some of the lessons you've learned that go from um, you know starting off to where you are right now, and sort of how you improved your videos, especially because you're in the education space, effectively, right? You you teach mm-hmm. people how to do something. Um, which is obviously very different to vlogging. You know, you've got to explain things in a very clear way. People have to be uh, engaged with you. But can, you. but can you tell us about that process? What has gone into improving your videos over time? Yeah, definitely. Um, like most YouTubers, if they watch their old content, it's very cringe-inducing. It's really hard to watch. And I'm the same. <laughs> it's uh, If I watch even like a video from like three or four years ago, it's it's too much to bear. Um some things that I've learned uh, that I do things differently now is basically like a greater appreciation for people's time. Um, when I started making the videos up until maybe four years ago, it was like a casual, almost like a podcast format where I would hit record and I'd show people how to make something. And however long it took, that was how long it took. And I might make some stumbles along the way and the tutorial might be 40 minutes long, right? Mm. Now, the idea of releasing a 40-minute video is that it would have to be really good content to be 40 minutes long. Um, Now, I know that most people do not have that time. And it was something that always annoyed me was when I looked at the YouTube analytics, the start of the video, it would just plummet. The first like 10 seconds or whatever, you would just see like half the people would drop. And I was like, oh my God, how, what can I do to, you know, retain the audience for longer? So I started experimenting with um, doing like recording the voiceover first and then editing in the blender part later on, which is a lot harder to do, especially when you're saying and click this and click this. It's like, how do you time that right? Um, I've gotten better at it, I guess, over, over time, but I started experimenting with that format and it, not surprisingly, it works far, far better. People are much more appreciative of a video that can tell them the same thing in seven minutes worth of time Mm. versus 40 minutes. And even if the 40 minute version is more casual, maybe it's even more fun and it's more personal. Maybe people get to know you. The seven minute version is always just going to be far better for most people. It's like, you know, if you look at like Joe Rogan's podcast, right? The most, the number one podcast forever, probably Uh, his, his episodes are like two hours long, right? But then he releases these clips 
of just a short snippet where they focus on one specific conversation or discussion around, I don't know, Instagram models or something. And he'll release that video in a clip format, which is only five minutes long. And those videos get an equal amount of views probably as the entire episode. Like, and they're much more, uh, I, I would guess most people probably find his content through those clips than actually his full, uh, full episodes as well, because yeah, it's hard to recommend to your, your family, like, Hey, you should listen to this episode. And then it's two hours long. Whereas if you say, here's a five minute video, yeah, it's, it's much more approachable. So yeah, you have a bigger funnel cause it's, it's, it's shorter content. People are more respect. Uh, people can tell you're respectful of their time. Um, and then I guess this, the thing that has to go with that, because this was something else I learned was that if you only go full on like rehearsed, uh, this is what I'm going to say, this is how I'm going to say it. And I've got it down to the second you end up without any personality mm-hmm. devoid of personality. Um, so some of those videos that I did early on of this rehearsed format actually did really poorly because it sounded like a rehearsed script that I was reading because I was, <laughs> there was not, none of that, like, Oh, like here's a little joke and here's a little, you know, a pause at the right place and this and that. And so learning how to make it both, uh, yeah, like a, a shortened format, but also friendly and casual and raw for the YouTube audience has been, uh, something I would hope I've done better since then. Yeah. Yeah, because in the past, you, uh, I remember you, you mentioned you even tried like a really like hyper, like YouTube stereotypical way of presenting. Things oh, like yeah, that. like a radio DJ. Hey, yeah. guys, Andrew Price here from Blendy Guru. How's it going? Yeah, and that's really exhausting to listen to <laughs> after like five seconds. <laughs> How long did it take you to pull yourself out, out of that one, do you reckon? Yeah, actually, I think it was probably four years, maybe. Wow. wow. I was making that high energy content for four years. And I actually remember when I stopped doing it, um, because for one, I could realize it was a problem to even record. Because when you're trying to keep up that energetic voice, it's also really hard to think about the next thing to say. <laughs> so you end up throwing in all this filler talk. Um, which you actually see sometimes at like events when there's an MC that's maybe a little green, uh, and they're doing the hyped up voice. You could tell they don't really know what they're going to say next. And so it ends up just, it's very annoying to listen to. Um, but yeah, it was like four years. And when I stopped doing it, I remember people, or at least one comment that I read was like, Oh, Andrew, you sound sadder nowadays. And I thought, yeah, probably. I mean, if you thought that was my normal voice, you probably would think I've fallen into a deep depression because now I talk like this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but that was, you know, one comment or whatever. And I'm sure the vast 99.99% of people appreciate that I don't do that voice anymore. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I think they said the same thing about radio. Like when radio came out, there was even, I think you can look it up online called the Atlantic accent. Yes. And it was a, a yeah. specific accent which was only found on people who present on the radio. It was this, and now we <laughs> like that kind of voice because people that were new to this medium that had never done it before, didn't know what format works best. Um, and actually another example is the talk show format. Uh, like, you know, uh, Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno, all those talk shows, they had uh, a desk, right? Mm. And there's a desk and they sit behind the desk and they talk. And most talk shows still do that. But you're realizing now over the years that some of them are are switching to a couch format where you sit on couches. And the reason for that is that, from what I've heard, uh, nobody knows why they're doing it behind a desk. That's like a job interview. (laughs) It's like this really weird, like, I'm going to be asking the questions, so I've got a desk, and you have to sit in that chair, and I'll throw questions to you, and then you answer them. Like a very stilted thing. Um, so now they're realizing, let, let's just get rid of the desk. Let's just sit on couches. So some talk shows are starting to do that. Um, rightfully so, I think. So when these new mediums come about, it's, it's hard to know what, what should work and what should be the standard, and it kind of discovers itself over the years. So, um, 
So. Yeah, I, I I tell myself that whenever I cringe thinking about those old videos, I'm like, all right, but I just didn't know what the format was yet. I didn't know how it should be. So, so yeah. what's your advice to other creators to find like their own tone and and start style and and not get stuck in four years of doing something that doesn't fit? Um, I think the stereotype of vloggers, you know, oh, hi yeah. guys, welcome to my channel. Like you know, like. Even if that yeah. isn't what they want to say, like how do you how do you find that? Like it took you four plus more years, maybe ten, um, to find you know that that place for you. But you know, how do you flatten yeah, the curve? Hey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I would also I would first of all say it it shouldn't take four years. That was my stubbornness, perhaps, or my lack of awareness of what I was doing. Um, it will take some time, definitely. Like, uh something we're trying to do for Polygon right now is uh, hire other artists to actually make tutorials for Polygon. Um, And it's really hard to do because most pro artists, people that are really good at making art are not also people making tutorials. They haven't done a format where they talk into a microphone to somebody who's not there, but will be listened to by thousands of people later on. It's a very weird, uh, it's weird when you haven't tried it before. So the first time you turn on a camera, if you're like, all right, day one of my vlog, it's gonna be stilted. It's gonna be nervous. Um, and I don't know if there's any way around that. Like you could spend probably months reading books on how to be a YouTuber or how to find, how to find your voice. And I don't know if it would actually help. It's like the same thing they say about like stand up, like comedians doing stand up. like all pro comedians will tell you today, like, there's no point in like any comedy class or a course that you do on how to do comedy. They are just robbing you blind because nothing you learn in that class will teach you as well as standing up on stage and actually trying it. So there's definitely that degree of it when it comes to YouTube, you have to try it and it's going to suck, but that's, that's fine because the good thing is not many people are going to be watching you. <laughs> and that's a blessing at the start. It won't sound like a blessing, but it is. The other thing, uh, so, so the first thing is just try it. You'll, you'll just get the nerves will get past you the more you do it. Um, it, it probably won't ever leave you, by the way. I still feel a little nervous whenever I hit record and I have to do the intro three or four different times because I felt too nervous. Like it's always going to be that. I don't think there's a problem with that, but it'll just be far less than when you, you got started. Uh, the second thing though that will definitely help you is finding a mentor or somebody that you like the way they talk, the way they present. And I actually listen to some of my, the people that I really enjoy. Um, I've got, I've got like a, a note notepad list or whatever with links in it. And I listen to these different people, the way they talk. And I just watch those videos before I start recording a tutorial. And it helps me get into the mindset of whatever it is that I like about them. So like I listen to these, uh, these two guys from Game Grumps. It's like this YouTube channel about gaming And that was what first opened my eyes to like the casual performance of like, instead of it being a performance, it felt like two guys sitting on a couch, just chatting. So I listened to those videos. Um, uh, Marquez Brownlee, MBK, whatever his actual channel name is, (laughs) the way he presents things is also really nice. Um, There's there's a bunch, but basically find whoever it is that you like and you want to mimic. Um, and that'll definitely help. And there's nothing wrong with imitating people, by the way. People think that's that's bad to imitate, but everybody imitates every. There's no way you can't not imitate somebody else. Even if you think you're not imitating someone, you are. So what you should do is have multiple sources to pull from, not just like one person that you want to copy, like a, a plagiarism, but like multiple people. Um, and that's that's how I would say uh, how to find your voice. Andrew, really- Awesome, because normally at the end of, of one of these podcasts, we say, like, give us your top tips, and those were excellent <laughs> top tips you did already without being prompted. Is there anything else, any other top See tips you want to give? See what I did there? I snuck that in, yeah. <laughs> anything else you want to do? Any any other little bits of advice you want to give people, or you think those are the, are the big ones? Um, Just let me think. Uh, oh, yeah, I would say going back to the money issue, you know, like I think it's important to definitely have, uh, yeah, to think about money because – uh, there's no way you're going to be able to do it full time and therefore make videos for your audience on a frequent enough basis. There's no way you're going to do that without it replacing your full-time income. But starting with that goal in mind, I think is the wrong way to go. Um, because as they say in, uh, in business, if you only listen to 
uh, split testing, like A-B split testing, like test this sales page, change the color of this button, test it against this. If you only follow that, everyone would end up selling porn. <laughs> because, <laughs> because if you only listen to the money, if you only listen to what viewers will click on and what thumbnails do the best, you end up going down a rabbit hole of basically you become a scammer, like somebody who is trying to mislead people with misleading thumbnails, misleading titles that try to capture their attention, but then it's 13 minutes and you only mention it at like five seconds near the end or something. And people, that doesn't work. There's not a long-term, yeah, there's there's no like long-term career out of that. People will only fall for that so often. I think even Casey Neistat is starting to realize that. Like (laughs) you remember like two or three years ago, maybe four years ago, his titles and thumbnails were really kind of obnoxious, like, to be honest. And I'm sure he probably even knows it as well. But I don't think you can do that at least regularly nowadays. Like, it just doesn't doesn't really work. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that coming to it purely from a, like, money standpoint, what can I do to get more views? How can I get those views above all else uh, is a bad idea. You have to have that. You have to know that that's something you're working towards, but you have to have values that what you value, what sort of content that you're making, you want to stick to that. Because if you if you just pursue the money, you'll end up doing something you would rather not be doing in five years from now. So that that's is, the last tip I'd give. I'd, that yeah. is, that's an excellent, excellent point. Absolutely. Um, you are look, the guru. You are indeed. Look, hey, we, run, we have run out, <laughs> run out of time, but I do have one more question. Um, have you ever created a 3D object that is, in fact, a blender? <laughs> <laughs> no, I let the rest of the community do that because there's there's too many people that have thought of that idea. Right. And even <laughs> even when I was using Blender as a teenager and I saw that, I was like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about you a blender, with, more do- a than blender with all like, your donuts? Oh, yeah, the software's called Blender, so I'm going to make a blender. Isn't that cool? But, you, but you, you, you yourself haven't done one yet. I have not done one yet. I guess I could make it like a beginner part two or something. Like <laughs> something slightly more advanced than the donut is a blender. Or yeah. what happens to the donut if you put it in a blender? Exactly. The next step. Yeah. Like Reusing it. old content. Yeah, I like it. Uh, <laughs> donut crumbs. And, nice. Andrew, Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Um fantastic tips we are definitely going to get a lot of people talking about this everyone else we will see you next time for now bye 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 thanks guys bye